Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction's Patreon, episode 32. I call BS. Uh, you were recently on the Cult Podcast, and you were bragging yeah. about to to all of their fans about this game, and and I know, yes. and I also noticed that you said it without the smu. You said it without alluding to the joke, but you said how I never win anything. But then all newer fans coming, unless they join our Patreon, won't have access to this game. Yes, so they'll just know that you're bad, or that, or they'll think you're lying about a game that never gets played. Okay, I guess I should put an ad for this then in our regular episode. Yes, you should. Or maybe like a clip of me losing or being cheated, like a highlight reel. You know how like uh, like if the Washington Generals were to have a highlight reel uh, of all of their greatest losses, you could kind of play that mm-hmm. as a commercial. I do like that you bring up the Washington Generals a lot because, again, there's no different rules. They're just playing basketball and they're just worse at it than the Harlem Globetrotters. And so, yes, you are the Washington Generals in this analogy. The rules are fair. You know them beforehand. We have solid fundamentals. First off, secondly, I think the also the part of that analogy is that we're in on the joke, as are the refs. Like, for example, just as the Harlem Globetrotters are allowed to bring a ladder onto the court to do stunts, yes. you are allowed to create rules on the fly. I hate to quote Airbud to you, but ain't no rule says you can't bring a ladder on the basketball court. Unless you're the Washington Generals, because I get the feeling that if I were to try that same shit or the Washington Generals, the uh, referees would not take too kindly to it. That's only because they don't have a 10-hour OSHA certification, and so, yeah, that would be unsafe. And one of the Globetrotters would bounce a ball off my face, and the ref would be silent. Oh dear. Those of you guys who know this show, of course, know that I call BS game where I read four science news articles, some of which are true, some of which are BS, standing for bad science. They can all be true, all be false, or any combination thereof in between. Damien, are you ready to play? I'm ready to win. I'm ready to conquer. Let's get right on to I call BS. I call. I call. I call. I call. I call. Ring, ring. I call BS. All right, article number one, a 6,000-year-old feathered dart from the Yukon Territory shows the first known evidence of humans using eucalyptus pitch as an adhesive. Damien, is this science or bad science? I'm going to say this is bad science. Not only do I know that eucalyptus fields did not exist in the Yukon at that time. Uh, Secondly, I know that they use adhesive. I don't know where they got it from, but not for arrows or anything, but to make feather boas to look fabulous and keep warm in the Yukon Territory. Yeah, I was going to say, your whole uh, stipulation of it didn't grow at that time, you didn't have to add at that time. There's also not eucalyptus trees there now. Well, then I suppose my uncle's highly unsuccessful eucalyptus farm in the Yukon Territory, he has to fight off koalas wearing winter gear all fucking summer. (laughs) Uh, Damien, this is bad science. As you caught on, there was no eucalyptus in the Americas back then, especially not in a cold region like that. But a 6,000-year-old dart from the Yukon did provide the first known evidence of human using the secretions of beaver's anus. Vanilla ice cream all the way back then? 
It's amazing. Right. We, we talked about this uh, the other week in terms of where we get vanilla flavoring from the glands in a beaver's anus. But also there is evidence of using the castorium, which is the stuff that comes out of those the beaver anus glands, as either an adhesive or a wood preservative on a specific atlatl dart that was found in the Yukon Territory that dates to around 6,000 years ago. So this is super interesting for a few reasons. One, we love beaver anus. We've talked about that before. Unashamed beaver anus fans i can't tell you how many times i've fantasized about a beaver getting stuck in a dam and then i would show that beaver anus how much i appreciated it so the side note to why this is super interesting has to do with the thing itself listen a dart this is so when we say dart i mean a dodge dart We've talked about atlatls before. It's basically a spear thrower. It's a thing that you hold that you can notch a spear into and you can throw it much further and faster. And this is how we took down mammoths and mastodons as we had these things that could essentially bury themselves feet inside a giant animal. Well, these spears, these are like six feet long. They're called darts, but they're really, they're, they're these big long six darts. foot long spears. Kind of. These big six foot long spears that get launched into an animal and they were using this beaver anus secretion to hold the little parts of the spear because it come, breaks into parts so you can carry it around together. And then also, I think, to, to keep some of the feathering, the fletching on uh, and maybe also as a as a protectant against water. But these are made out of wood, except for the stone tip These and the feather things. These are made out of wood. So you might say, well, how the fuck are we getting this from 6000 years ago? Well, one of the few good parts of global warming is that there are these areas that essentially have been covered in frost and snow indefinitely for many thousands of years that are now starting to melt and we are finding shit in there stuff that otherwise would not preserve you're not going to find an atlatl dart running around here maybe in the best preservation conditions you might find part of one but you certainly wouldn't find a whole one that was so intact that you could see the beaver anus secretions on it this is the product of having a frozen tundra-ish area that is slowly melting and the same thing has happened with paleontologists in places like siberia where they're finding full-on frozen little horses and lion cubs and wolves and stuff. You know, eventually we're going to find a full-on person that's 40,000 years old. You know, we have Otzi from the Alps. He's only a few thousand, though. Encino Man from the 90s. Yes. Yeah, that's true. We are finding really, really intact what you would call soft things, things that don't usually preserve in the archaeological record. And that's going to tell us a lot about how people lived a long time ago. And it provides a lot of hijinks at local high schools when that defrosted man tries to enroll. Yeah, which, as we discussed before, would have a lot more murder. If you were to try and stay true to like human paleontology, Brendan Fraser would be doing a lot more slaughtering those kids around him. Yeah, I'd be uh, terrified of his bow-legged walk caused by his massive Neanderthal muscles. But <laughs> Yeah, and rickets. <laughs> Article number two. New research suggests that dinosaurs lived year-round in the far northern Arctic despite the low temperatures, lack of sunlight, and constant snow. Damien, is this science or bad science? This is science. We just find a shit in Siberia all the time. I have to assume the reason it is such a place of misery and depression now is because it's essentially a dinosaur graveyard. All of it. So it's haunted by the ghosts. Victorian dinosaurs. Oh, okay. There was a Victorian <laughs> period. <laughs> 
this is science, Damien, and very interesting. So a new paper describes a series of hatchling dinosaur fossils found in northern Alaska that include many dinosaurs from Tyrannosaurus to Hadrosaurus. Previously, it was thought that the Arctic was far too cold for dinos to live full time. Maybe they went there briefly, but then, you know, like just in, ter- in part of a migration, but then they left and only very specific species. But the presence of these hatchling remains suggests that the Arctic wasn't just a migratory stopover because you don't migratorily stop over to have your kids, but was actually their full time home. That's crazy because even though the Arctic was a little bit warmer back in their time, it's still insanely cold, still dark for serious portions of the year, still has snow and stuff. And it's unknown how these creatures without the same endothermic abilities of modern mammals could live in such extreme environments. Now, dinosaurs weren't lizards. We've talked about this before. They had some endothermy. They had some warm-bloodedness. But keep in mind, there is essentially, with one possible exception that's only kind of a half exception, there are no reptiles in the Arctic now. The Arctic is not a place for an animal that needs outside temperatures to warm itself up. You're going to die the first winter, and there's no sunlight, no nothing, which is why there aren't snakes and lizards up there. There really aren't even amphibians, to, with some very, very minor exceptions. There aren't really amphibians up there either. So to find out that there were dinosaurs, including like Tyrannosaur family dinosaurs, that lived their entire life in the Arctic, that is really interesting, really cool. And that kind of tells us something about what we know about dinosaurs, that there is clearly a lot we don't understand because clearly their endothermic abilities were good enough to live up there. We are clearly not getting the full picture of what a dinosaur was or what it was like to be one. I heard they filled in the gaps with walrus DNA and that's, they had a thick layer of blubber. Yeah, well, that was the problem is uh, they were like, there's no way these dinosaurs will ever get a lovely curvaceous shape because, you know, we engineered them that way. And he's like, but walruses. <laughs> Although, wait, I needed some thick ass rafters. Uh, article number three. A new study shows that not only can stress cause gray hair in humans, but once caused, the effects are irreversible. Damien, is this science or bad science? This is Bad Science, and I'd like to thank our new sponsor, Rogaine Hair Coloring for Men. Um, That's right. Hair graying and hair loss is not permanent. Rogaine's entire line of products can give you the full head of hair you had back when you used to fuck. Well, I do appreciate the the Rogaine bit, but keep in mind, this isn't about hair. This is about, like, whether or not you have it. This is about hair color. Just for men. I apologize. I'd like to check away that last. Rogaine? Fuck you, Rogaine. Don't you ever give us money to advertise on your products here again. I meant to read the copy for Just for Men hair coloring. Fools men are saints and support science. Uh, This one is bad science, Damien. Even though that was the conclusion researchers had reached based on previous studies in mouse models in which graying hair was the result of an irreversible mitochondrial problem caused by stress. In this study, in humans... They monitored humans as stress caused their hair to go gray, and they actually observed five strands of a man's hair regain its color during a low-stress vacation. Meaning he went gray for stress, went out on vacation for a while, came back, and some of his hair turned back to its normal color. Five hairs? Yeah. Which, by the way, if you're the uh, in, if you're the uh, lab tech who has to count gray hairs yeah. on a human head, you better hope he's Homer Simpson or Charlie Brown or something. 
but here's the deal. Like, that's proof of concept that it can go back, right? And before, in the mouse models, the thing that happens in those mouse models, they have different type of hair follicles, but the, the change to gray is irreversible. And so we thought that was the case with humans. We thought once you go gray, that is what it is. But in looking at this, we're like, even if it's five hairs, if it's one hair, it doesn't matter. The body then has a mechanism to repair that damage. Once you go gray, you look distinguished all day. It's great news for a lot of people, including myself, who thought I was blonde my entire life until a week ago when my four-year-old son described his dad as having, quote-unquote, silver hair. I saw you recently. Maybe I wasn't staring into your blonde locks, but you still look pretty blonde to me. I, on the other hand, because of the contrast in my dark hair, uh, you can see my salt and pepper all day. Yeah, you got like a Nick Fury thing going on, which if it is stress induced, makes sense. I just assume that like that little ball of stress is a physical manifestation of your worst ex-wife. Like that's just <laughs> that's her coming out of your temples. Uh, I assumed it was the uh, stress I feel on my back from carrying this podcast every episode. Oh, <laughs> like just just it's all that physical stress brought on by that this herculean amount of strength i must wield in my body to support this show i feel the same way in terms of having to lift up my phone heavy with emails from fans <laughs> angry about it <laughs> piece of shit that's not the way emails work but you know that don't you bobby so this implies that the mechanism changing the color of our hair is different than the one in mice since ours is reversible which kind of opens up a whole new mystery a as to what exactly is causing our stress induced grayness as opposed to mice if it's not the same thing 20 hour work week i gotcha it's too <laughs> stressful and then b by the way i like how you think half of a full-time work week is too stressful i can't do it that's almost that's, that's a few hours a day man can't keep this up <laughs> I'm a human being. 20-hour work week. What is that? An hour a day? <laughs> I also, I thought school was too long as well. So <laughs> I haven't used anything I learned beyond the third grade, but that was my choice. And the, you know, the even obviously the more million dollar question, so to speak, is then, you know, how do we reverse it? And other than not stressing, once we can figure out the chemical components and the hormone components that are causing it, if, and then the, the ones that are causing the rehab that we see in the, those guys' five hairs turning back, if we can find that, we can likely replicate it. It might very well be that we live in a world, Damien, we might live in a world where our elderly years are filled with people with bright, youngish looking hair because both baldness and graying hair had been solved gray hair and a dude is sexy don't take that away from me i've earned this and by the way like are they going to like have a like a pill or an injection that like simulates a sandals vacation to, to take away stress and, and when you come and when it wears off and you, and you <laughs> i think that's called weed damien <laughs> let me tell you i got i got salt and pepper hair and i'm gonna go blow my bong to try to get it away it hasn't worked yet but i'm gonna keep trying uh yeah you gotta stop calling that guy bong <laughs> He's from Asia. I can't pronounce his real name. I know it sounds nothing like bong. Oh, and lastly, article number four. For the first time ever, CRISPR injected directly into human blood has been shown to treat and possibly even cure a genetic disease. Damien, is this science or bad science? This is bad science. It was not injected into the blood. It was injected into the scrotum, and it was done as a punishment from a Bond villain. Now I will get you with CRISPR-Cas12. What's it going to do? I don't know. I'm not the scientist here. I just wanted to see you. I got this on the internet. I think it's going to be fun as shit. <laughs> I just, I just, I don't know. I want to do something to your balls. I don't know. Am I crazy? Is that gay? 
or something. Uh, sorry, Damien, this one's science, meaning you lose once again to the dispo- disappointment of all of the fans. You got three right, one wrong, uh, a score which I believe you have commented on as being the worst possible score you no, could possibly no, get. No, no, I was quoting you as to say, no matter what score I get, you will say it's the worst possible score. Oh, so you agree this is the worst possible score. <laughs> I know that if I get this versus if Dr. Troy got a three out of four, you'd be blowing him like some dude named Bong right now. <laughs> Dr. Troy only gets four out of fours. That's the same. That's not true. That's not true. I've beaten Dr. Troy, which is why he hates losing to me so much. Whoa. I usually beat all Whoa. the scientists when they first show up because they have to wow. learn how you do the test. Paige Wesley wow. was the only one. And by the way, uh, go back and listen to that, fans. Bobby gives her softball pitches her the answer on the fourth one. No, I will not shut up. I I am going to filibuster. I'm going to read the phone book. I beat Dr. Troy, the greatest scientist to ever play this game. You think you beat him in it. Oh, my God. That's that. You know what I imagine is in your head, something happens similar to when they dress that kid up like Batman and took him around San Francisco to make him feel like he had done something. Yeah, in real life, Bane killed him. Well, in real life, he didn't do shit, right? Like, I think that's a similar thing. I think he probably, like, listened to an episode, got all the answers after losing to Dr. Troy, played it again while Dr. Troy was saying, and just yelled a different answer over your your turn every time. And then we're like, I won, I won! And then you want to walk around San Francisco feeling all high and mighty just because you have cancer. All of these episodes are not behind a paywall. They can be... <laughs> they, they are free. And if any fan is willing to do the research and find the episode where I beat Dr. Troy, name your price. Let's negotiate. Let name your price. Uh, anyway, so uh, this is science. Uh, now, a caveat. This is an incredibly small N number. It's a lowercase N number. I'm talking about. It is. It's really more of a, a, a proof of concept. It's only got six people in it, and it's still very short term in its findings. However, it's still really, really cool if it holds up. So you all know about CRISPR. We've talked about it a bunch before. This is basically a tool that we stole from bacteria that allows us to literally cut up DNA and allows us to do gene lines. DNA lines. Yes, yes, and it, and it, and allows us to do gene editing. It allows us to go in and cut out specific little uh, parts of gene code and put something else in there. And up until now, we've used this in in vitro, meaning like in labs. We've used this in animal models. We've even used this in people, in which we take like something out of them, maybe uh, stem cells, bone marrow, or something. We manipulate it in a lab, and then we put it back in them. We've also used it in the scrotum of MI6 agents as well. (laughs) But we've never just directly injected it into somebody's bloodstream. Well, there's a genetic disease called transthyretin amylodosis, and it's a disease in which the liver produces misfolded proteins called transthyretins, or TTRs. This protein builds up in the body, causing all sorts of problems. It causes pain, it causes discomfort, it causes a bunch of issues. And researchers thought this was a good target to use CRISPR in this way for the very first time. As it's a single mutation, we know exactly where it is. Existing treatments for it can be stopped without it being like super dangerous for people. So if you want to do this type of thing and you were doing it against like HIV, for instance, you'd have to tell everybody to get off their HIV medicine to see how this works compared to the HIV medicine. And then we can have a big problem if all of a sudden you slide go start sliding downhill, right? Whereas this, you get people off the medicine, they're going to have some discomfort and whatnot, but you can always get them back on and it's not going to be a life-threatening condition. So they went about it. They literally, let's build up this CRISPR to attack this one specific part. We know where this little gene sequence is that causes this problem. Let's go get it. They did it and the effects were fantastic. 
especially for those who got the most intense treatment. They saw TTR levels drop 80 to 96% over baseline, which is even better than the medication currently used to treat the condition, which causes about an 81% drop in those levels. Even more promising, if the editing works properly, these people may be effectively cured of the disease because the genes themselves have been edited, and then they might never need another treatment again, as opposed to the drug, the medicine, which is a lifelong treatment that they will constantly need. It's also injected, which anytime a medicine is only injectable, it fucking sucks. It just totally dictates your life. But think about that. We might have literally just cured a genetic disease by giving somebody a single shot. That has never been done before. That is really, really cool. And that is bringing in what we have talked about on this show literally since 2013, which is the age of CRISPR. The age of biology will be directed by CRISPR and CRISPR offshoots for, you know, the foreseeable future. This is one of the most powerful tools available in biology, and it is starting to really show dividends. These are just the beginning stages. Again, CRISPR is so new. CRISPR itself was just developed in a scientific setting, Berkeley, by the way, in a scientific setting, like just over 10 years ago. Maybe Stanford just- passed on it. Stanford was too busy working on a particle accelerator uh, or fusion technology. Slightly over 10 years ago or so. And already we are curing, possibly curing genetic diseases. Imagine what the future is going to hold. I mean, it really will be a thing where I honestly think you will have the ability to literally change your eye color, change your height, change any of those genetic qualities. And things like intelligence will probably be things that get sought after. But I think in our lifetimes, we will be using CRISPR on a regular basis to change certain genetic qualities, first starting with genetic diseases, and then eventually genetically desirable traits. Could I use CRISPR to give myself Goro arms? Yes, or of a course. penis reduction. Well, I mean, you just get a surgery for that last part. No, I currently have Goro penis sy- syndrome. I need one penis. So, like, would there be something that just gives? It is genetic. My kids will have four penis syndrome. My father had four penis syndrome. We covered it actually. Uh, this is a while ago. It's funny that you remind me of this. Is that this is this is how much of a dude that dudes are? Is that you know there's a wi- there's seven billion people on this earth, almost eight, and we have like a wide variety of stuff that happens to us. Like people will get a weird elephantitis of the leg, or or like a weird arm thing. So you'll have to have a surgery to re- to reduce the size of your elephantitis arm or something like that. Like that is just within the wide range of human beings. That is just a possibility, right? If we look at women's sexual characteristics, women will frequently have things like breast reductions, right? There has only been one penis reduction in medical history, and it was because the guy got to a condition where, like, sex wasn't even a thing. He hadn't had sex in a long time. It was, it was like, too inflamed, had some kind of weird disease where it wasn't normal big. It was, like, stupid big. And even then, it had to get to a condition where he was, like, life-threatening before he agreed to have the reduction. This is how much guys are guys, is that we're like, listen, I understand this is, har- like, harming my life. I can't get out of bed. I can't even have sex with my wife, the most desirable trait. But, but... Uh, how small do you really need to make it? I mean, let's just let's, let's see where this goes. Keep the dong for another few years and let's see where it goes. Yeah, very little of what you're seeing of this impressive uh, gangrenous mass that you're seeing right now is actually penis. Most of it's just swollen flesh. But even so, and even, even so, every day is excruciating as long as yeah. this infected appendage is on me. I think I'd be happier with the big hurt penis. Yeah, I just imagine a bunch of females doctors sitting around being like, Oh my god! Oh my god! And then, like, looking it up, and they're like, "We looked through the entire medical library, and there isn't a single record of how to do a procedure like this. Clearly, this has to have come up. This has to have." 
<laughs> Every person, keep that knife away from me, Doc. <laughs> Oh, dear. All right. Thank you, audience, for coming back for Science Faction's Patreon episode 32, where you learned all about how beaver anus juice was used 6,000 years ago in the Yukon, how dinosaurs lived in the Arctic year-round, how stress can turn hair gray in human beings, but it can also be turned back to its original color, and for the first time ever, how CRISPR was directly injected into human blood to try and cure a genetic condition. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction 568. Put that thing away, Bong. I'm working. Also, my hair hasn't gotten any darker. All right, we'll try one more time. You've been listening to Science Faction. Wait, that's not right. (laughs) 